0: And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom and coming up on the show, going to try to get to a couple of topics that I think would be interesting to discuss. The first one is the Ticketmaster fiasco, but be going beyond that, talking about concert going, the experience different types of concerts, the different venues, obviously tickets and prices and stuff like that, maybe something that can be done to curb those high prices. So that's going to be one thing. Also, if you were with us last time, we were talking about how states are trying to legalize things such as marijuana and whether that's a good thing or not. Got some information that might be interesting, especially when you think about, remember when they tried to get rid of tobacco and smoking? Got some information that might be of interest to you and your health. And then if we have time, uh, the other terrible T, Twitter. Is Elon Musk really as dumb as people think? Or is he actually smarter than what people think? So that's on the agenda. Let's see if we can get to it. What we don't get to, we'll probably do just next time. So got a couple things to look forward to. So let's get right to it. So ticketmaster the story behind that taylor swift very popular artist put her concert tickets on sale for this tour coming up in uh, 2023 that's starting probably pretty soon ending i think in los angeles sofi stadium in 2023 of august or august of 2023 and so the system crashed a bunch of swifties is that what they call them Swifties were online waiting for hours upon hours to try to get concert tickets, which originally were supposed to be going on sale for the price of maybe $49 in the upper arenas, the upper bowls, the 3-400 sections, to maybe 449 for the more expensive seats. However, the system crashed because of demand, first of all, And then there was the price. Apparently, there's some system maybe that is a tiered system depending upon the desired ticket price or maybe the demand, I guess you could say, would maybe fluctuate the ticket prices. So anyways, scalpers got involved, system crashed, no tickets for the average fan, and prices skyrocketed. And so that was the whole story behind it. Now everyone's upset, all these... Swifty fans, they've been locked out. It's tragic, but no. So think about this. So I was thinking about my concert going experience. I think the first concert I went to, if I can remember correctly, is uh, it was at the Forum in Inglewood, California. It was uh, Skid Row and Bon Jovi, the Jersey Syndicate coming out. I believe it was. I think it was eighty seven. Might have been eighty six, but I think it was eighty seven, and. Went with a couple guys. There was about four of us total that went down to the concert and had a great time. And then afterwards, of course, you had to get your bootleg T-shirt, your concert T-shirt and from the uh, bootleggers that were out in the parking lot. And they're like yanking them out of their pants and out of their backpacks and whatever because it was illegal. I'm sure it still is. But especially back then, you had actually police tracking these people down, selling these bootleg concert T-shirts. And so we got ours for 5 bucks. and then once you washed them, they were destroyed. But we had a really good time, a lot of fun, and that kind of started my concert-going experience. Um, Some other concerts I've been to, just kind of in random order, I remember going to, and I might uh, talk about it a little bit later, but um, Guns N' Roses and Metallica at the Coliseum in Los Angeles, that was pretty epic, those two uh, bands coming together. One of my favorite bands to go see is Skillet. It's a Christian band. They're high energy, high impact, light shows, everything. Their music is just intense, so I enjoy those shows. One of my all-time favorite artists, Steve Taylor, I think I saw him last in Hollywood pre-COVID. I think it was at the Cafe House, maybe, or the Cafe Hotel, something like that. He was also then, prior to that, I think the year before, he came out and did the Whiskey A Go-Go. So those were the last couple of times I've seen him. But growing up, I would go see him regularly at the amusement parks, like Six Flags and Knott's Berry Farm. Uh, saw Poison, Poison at Irvine Meadows at uh, Glen Helen Arena. Motley Crew saw them a couple times. They did all right. I never didn't go see their farewell tour. This was early crew. Saw him at the uh, Forum again in Inglewood, uh, California. Saw Phil Collins. I wanted to go see Phil Collins. I didn't. I, I have not seen and probably won't get to see Elton John or Billy Joel. Two guys. Wanted to see Meatloaf. He passed away, so obviously that's not going to happen. So there was a few. So Phil Collins was one of those guys that I wanted to go see. So went and saw Phil Collins at Irvine Meadows Amphitheater. Of course, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles, in case you don't know where these venues are. Saw Little Richard. Remember him? Saw him at the Greek Theater one time. Saw Blondie at the Greek Theater. Back in 2019, again, kind of pre-COVID. Toby Keith. Saw Toby Keith at uh, Ontario Citizens Bank Arena in 2019. Newsboys seen a uh, few times in Mankato, Minnesota. Saw them for the first time in Mankato. Saw them at uh, in Irvine, at the University of Irvine, their uh, event center. Is it the Bren Events Center still? Saw them there and seen them at different other places. Um, and then most recently... The last concert I went to was with my mom, took her to Alan Jackson. That is her uh, favorite artist, his Fellwell tour. So we went and saw him at Pinnacle Bank Arena and uh, had a good time. And so as I was thinking back over the course of the years and the different concerts, obviously part of the reason why my go-to concert was the 80s rock is because I grew up on it. But I also admired the way that they wrote music. They wrote their own music and it reflected their own lifestyle the experiences that they went through. And I know Taylor Swift, there was a lot of controversy. Some guy recently, or maybe a couple years ago, came out and said she didn't write her own songs. Well, she does. So maybe that's the appeal, that she's writing her own music. When it comes to country music, there's a lot of songwriters that write songs for the artists, which I'm fine with because it allows other people then to write music. So, for example, I believe it was The Dance, Garth Brooks. I was watching a... uh, documentary on him and his move to nashville and his rise to the music success that he had and i believe there was a a writer that they were talking about or interviewing a songwriter i believe he wrote the dance and a couple others and you get to hear these songwriters tell their stories and i think country music does a great job of having the songwriters being recognized a lot of times songwriters don't get recognized in the mainstream you know the artist and you know the people that sing the music but who are the ones that put pen to paper uh, Steve Taylor, I talked about him, he joined, and he was a songwriter for a lot of people, a lot of Christian artists. He joined up with the Newsboys, and that kind of catapulted them to music success. But so as I was thinking back, I started thinking about these prices. What are these prices that are going on? And again, let's get back to Taylor Swift. So apparently the ticket prices were supposed to be 49 to Maybe four forty nine dollars on Ticketmaster. Maybe that doesn't include fees. You've got your taxes. You've got your fees. You've got delivery fees. You've got the breathing tax. You've got the looking at the computer screen tax. You've got the you thought about Ticketmaster tax. And so, of course, it adds up. But then after the tickets were scooped up by scalpers and other people that were able to get in there and get the tickets, they started to resell them on resale sites. Resale sites... That we're going for, like, let's take Philadelphia for example, the concert at MetLife Arena in the upper bowl seats or up arena seats, top deck, Bob Euchre seats, six hundred dollars. The cheapest. And then if you go to the lower floor seats, the higher end ticket prices, anywhere between five and seven thousand dollars, it's like, whoa, what are we doing? Would you pay $7,000 for a concert ticket? I'll get to the most I've ever paid for a concert ticket. It's not nearly anywhere close to $7,000. And then you go to uh, New York. Or is it New Jersey? MetLife Stadium. Again, top deck. $540 to see Taylor Swift on the resale market. The best seat's about $5,000. Now, there were some reports, I saw some news headlines, that MetLife Stadium tickets were selling, up to, uh, were selling for up to $22,000 for Taylor Swift. Would you pay $22,000 for Taylor Swift? Would you pay $22,000 for any ticket to a concert, a one-night, a one-night stand for $22,000? Let's go on. Floor seats for March 17th, 2023. Opening night, Glendale, Arizona. Going for as much as $17,000. Floor seats. How about Atlanta, April 28th, $35,438. That is crazy for one night concert. Maybe for front row, I don't even think this includes like VIP experience, maybe it does, because you know, you can go and you can buy these experience packages, right, you get a VIP package, you get front row seats, maybe you get to meet the artist, get some souvenirs, take some pictures, you know, that type of thing, and so maybe 35000 includes that, I would hope so, but people will still pay it, people will pay it without thinking twice about it. Because Taylor Swift. Now, I told you the most I think I paid for a ticket. I can't recall exactly, but I think it was the most recent one, Alan Jackson. I believe it was over $200 a ticket. And it's because, one, it's his last concert. He's retiring, health issues, so he's not going to really tour anymore. And so it's my mom's favorite artist. Second time I've taken her to see Alan Jackson. And so you kind of have to pay a little bit to go see it, especially since this is kind of the last time, right? The farewell tour. And so went and paid, uh, I think, a little over 200 for each ticket. Um, so again, would I do that regularly? Probably not, but because it was a special event. Now, the concert before that uh, was Bon Jovi. They toured recently in uh, 2022, this past year, April. I think I paid 50 bucks for a ticket. Had pretty decent seats. The other thing, too, you got to keep in mind is as these artists grow older, are they really worth... Paying two, 300 bucks for a ticket. So that's the difference. Because so I'll admit, I like Bon Jovi. I've seen many of their shows. And I used to pay, which I'll get to in a minute, but I used to pay a lot more than 50 bucks a ticket to go see them. I wouldn't do that now. That's just the nature of supply and demand. That's the nature of the product that you're getting back. Now, they put on a great show, and I enjoyed it, especially their old music and the way they... Redid it to fit their talents and their abilities at their age now. You know, I'm paying to see them now, I'm not paying to see them for what they were. I already did that, and so got to see, uh, got to see them. So that's kind of a little difference. But remember, back in the old days of going to these concerts, you would spend about eighty bucks per ticket, and then after I got a little bit older, had a career, started making a little bit more money, the ticket. Market changed a little bit. No longer did you have to just go stand in line and hope you got tickets. You got to actually go to a broker, for example, which then became what tickets are today, but a broker and they would have guaranteed seats. And so you pay a little bit more and then you would uh, now have what we have today. You can be a fan member and join a membership club, like uh, let's say Taylor Swift membership fan club, get a membership to the fan club. That gives you early access. Did that with Alan Jackson. Had to buy, and I think that was probably why the tickets were on the average up over two hundred because you had to buy a membership to get early access. I wanted to make sure that we got those tickets um, because you weren't weren't certain how quickly they would sell out on uh, the general release day. So again, you kind of play this game depending on the show you want, and maybe you don't, maybe you do it differently. But I was thinking back over the way that my ticket going experience, my ticket buying experience evolved. So first. You started out by going to, getting up early, and going to the music store, okay? Whether it be Music Plus, Tower Records, Warehouse, remember Warehouse Music, or Blockbuster Music even? You get up early, you stand in line for hours, you get a wristband. Now, the wristband either had a color or maybe had a number on it, maybe had a color and a number on it. Then at some point a random number would be drawn and then the line would reform starting with that number on the wristband and you'd be the first ones in. And then it would go from there and hopefully then there'd be tickets left over by the time they called your name if you got the bad luck, the bad luck of the draw, which happened to me with Guns N' Roses and Metallica. So then you'd line up and then you'd go in and you'd say, I want two tickets. They'd tell you how much. You throw your money down. You get the tickets. And then there was a map. That you would go to and on the ticket, at least in my experience growing up, the ticket would say like 98X and then you go look and see what 98X was on the venue seating chart map that was on the window display and then you'd match up your tickets and you'd figure out where they were. Now, of course, you've got assigned seats that actually tell you which section, which row and which seat. But that's how it was and it was like a pure crapshoot. Could be a good seat, could be a bad seat, it did not matter. And so, like I said, one time I was at the Music Plus in Burbank california near the old kmart if you are familiar it was guns and roses metallica they had like about five or six shows eventually got the wristband my number was one of the worst numbers you can get i was one of the last people standing so eventually got tickets at the coliseum so you had like what 600 000, maybe more maybe almost a million tickets sold for that five six shows finally got my tickets and um when saw the show, it was actually pretty good. Metallica was actually better than Guns N' Roses, in my opinion, during that uh, show. Axel was just starting to get a little nutty. But uh, Metallica outperformed them, in my opinion. But, so I'm sitting there, and i am got the wristbands, right? And so this group of people looked like it was a mom and a dad, a little bit older. I thought they were old people. They're probably younger than I am right now. But they brought, uh, so it was mom and dad and a couple kids, including some little toddler. And they're handing out the wristbands, and some people thought it was unfair that the toddler who can't go in on his own and get tickets had a wristband, but whatever. That's the nature of concert going. And so they kept running to the ATM and unloading their bank account getting these concert tickets. And again, I don't specifically remember what concert prices were back then, what the ticket prices were, but you know, you're probably... You're probably looking about eighty to a hundred bucks per ticket for Metallica and Guns N' Roses, something like that. Maybe it was a little bit more. But again, you didn't really pick where you want to go. It wasn't like I want floor seats, give me floor seats. You went in, you said, I want how many. They would tell you how much, you give them the cash, they give you the tickets, and out you'd go, and you'd speed through pretty quick. And so then um, that's how you did it. And so then nowadays, and think about that, I was thinking about that. That was part of the experience. You know, that was part of the concert going experience it started out with getting in line early in the morning some people would pitch a tent like black friday and wait outside the music store then you had to get your wristband and your number then you would try to get inside and get your ticket now that was all in the physical world right now we do it virtually a lot of people in queue waiting and waiting and waiting And then you may or may not get in. You may or may not get tickets. And then whatever's left, you have to pick. So I've taken that real-world experience, which I fully enjoyed. Did I like getting up early? No. But it was all a part of the experience. And then as you drove down, okay, let's say you were driving to Anaheim, California, from Los Angeles to the, well, I guess it was the, the Pond. Now it's the Honda Center. Maybe it's something else. Or maybe you're going... On the road trip to go to see the concert and that was part of the conversation on the way there was the ticket buying experience and so then you'd see the show and then on the way back it just added to the experience and you tell stories about it like it kind of am right now but now you're in line at Ticketmaster which I guess now is a monopoly because they merged with Live Nation and now you have these tech issues maybe you Hit refresh, and now you're out of queue. you got to get back in queue. Now you're in the back of the line. And it's on and on and on. And then you got all these fees. And that was the one thing that you did not do. You did not pay for fees. So if you were paying face value for the tickets, at least I did, when you'd go to the store, whether it's Music Plus or Warehouse or Tower Records, you were paying face value for the tickets. There was no service fee. There was no... Um, handling fee or whatever fees that you're paying online now and so your dollar went a little bit further back then when it came to tickets and ticket prices weren't out of control like they are today and so it makes you wonder is there anything you can do about that well yeah i mean the hard cold truth is don't go might be the sourpuss answer to the question of what do we do but yeah you could as the consumer Not go. Now, that will never happen because people always pay. And the the people that got the money will pay. And the people that don't have the money, which is more of the true fan that I've learned over the years, the true fan is the one that doesn't really have the money to pay $22,000 to see front row seats. But don't pay it. And ticket prices will come down. I know a lot of people are saying Taylor Swift should do something about it. I have some stories of uh, some artists that did try to kind of buck the system to try to keep ticket prices lower for the fans and some of the things they did. But what do you do? You know, you're paying, you know, 60, 80 bucks back in the old days. Then it went to, I think, when I got to the broker, you know, they'd add broker fees. That's when you first started paying fees, at least in my experience. And so you'd pay 125 to 175 bucks a ticket because, again, you would get a better seat. It seemed like, when you go to Ticketmaster back then, you would get the upper arena seats, the crappier seats for the 80 bucks, right? And then now you're paying 125 and you got better seats, access to better seats, lower bowl if you were at the uh the forum, for example, or lower seating sections at Irvine Meadows Amphitheater. Or the Greek, you know, you weren't up top or on the wings, you were kind of center, like uh when I saw Little Richard. I didn't pay that much for Little Richard, I don't remember when I paid, but I was at the Greek and it was like In the first section is actually a pretty good show. And so now you're paying fees, you're in line, you're in queue, everything's digital, you get it on your phone, and the experience isn't the same, but you don't have to. Instead of these artists getting richer and richer and richer, and you getting poorer and poorer, what if we just didn't go? Just said, you know what? Nobody go with this tour. Solidify in solidarity that we're not going to go and nobody buy tickets. That would crash the system in a big way. Because you think about it, you've got ticket revenue, and now you've got sometimes artists will tie ticket revenue to uh, those club memberships because everyone wants the the pre-sale, right? It's all about the pre-sale. So whether you're a credit card, maybe you have a credit card that offers pre-sale, I think Visa, MasterCard, American Express, is that still around? You'd have pre-sale if you're a member, Uh, Fan club membership gets you pre-sale. And there's other aspects to it that would get you pre-sale access to tickets. So people are paying a premium, not only on the tickets, but for the pre-sale and signing up to these different entities. And that's costing money. But instead of making artists richer, 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 you poor, 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 what if we didn't go? What if we uh, sacrificed that one time? But people will still continue to pay. Prices will still skyrocket. And those that can't afford it, you're eventually going to be left behind. Or you're going to be like those people at the Guns N' Roses Metallica concert spending all your money. And the the only reason I know is because they were telling everybody, more money, more money. They'd run around the corner to the bank, which is right next door, take a cash, ATM cash out, come back. And then eventually they said, we can't do it anymore because uh, we're out of money. I think they bought like tickets to four of the five or six shows that Guns N' Roses and Metallica was performing. But I think about it now, and I'm like, wow, that that really kind of, it was one thing to pay the 60, 80 bucks, whatever it was, when you went to the Music Plus. Yeah, that was a lot back then. So, yes, it's arbitrary. It's still kind of the same inflation, cost of living, what we pay now. It's arbitrary. It's the same, maybe, as you would evolve through time, like anything else. But you're also paying all these extra fees, and the experience of just being online, getting your tickets, and Stuff like that. I think it just changes. It's almost like you're not vested your time. You're not vesting your time into getting those tickets. I think I just bought tickets to uh, a basketball game. You know, I went to Ticketmaster, bought some tickets. Um, no big deal. So, yeah, stuff like that, it's fine. But I don't know. I think you just miss out on the experience. Remember the music stores themselves. Then, what you would do after you got your tickets, because usually the tickets would go and sell like early in the morning maybe 6, 7 o'clock, the music store was closed. They would only let you in to buy tickets. Then everyone would wait around, and then the music store would open, and everybody would rush in, and then you would look at all the music. You'd flip through, whether it was back in the cassette days, or maybe it was the CDs, and then it was the big, long CD things, and then the short CD things, and you'd flip through it, and you'd see the new releases from people, and then you'd have to figure out What music you wanted to listen to going down? Would you listen to the band that you're going to see? Or did you pick somebody else? And then what's the music coming back? Because again, depending on how far the concert was away, you had to plan your music going to the concert, your music coming back to the concert. And it was always, it was uncool to play the band that you are going to see on the trip for some reason. Strange, bizarre, but that's what it was. But that's the experience of it. The whole thing was planned out. And then who you were going with, Who would get what seat? Usually the person that stood in line would get, like, the best seat. Not that there was a best seat, but, like, had first pick, you know. And if you were lucky enough to get an aisle seat. That's the one thing I do like is they have the tab now online or the filters where you can get aisle seats and look for aisle seats, and that's what I always try to choose is the aisle seats. But what about these artists and the money that they're making? You know, people spending entire bank accounts. And then what happens? So, again... I mentioned Axl Rose is starting his meltdown period, right? So go to get tickets to the Coliseum, I mean, uh, at the um, the Forum. Okay, so I saw him at the Coliseum. Go to the Forum. Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 had just come out, just released like the day before the concert, so we hadn't had a chance to listen to it. And we're waiting, we're waiting. Guns N' Roses is supposed to come on at 8. It's 9, it's 10, it's 11, and now they're finally coming out. At 11 o'clock, so we paid whatever money. It wasn't a lot of money because we were at the forum, and these were really bad seats. Probably got them last minute, maybe upper bowl, so it wasn't the greatest of seats, but we decided we were going to go anyways. 11 o'clock rolls around. It's a Sunday night. A lot of people had to work the next day. Fortunately, I had Mondays off at that time, me and my friend. But And then think about people coming down off their high because they're smoking weed. They're getting hung over because they've been drinking. Now everybody's in a foul mood. How much money did you pay for that show? How much money did you pay for that experience? And then he sits down in the middle of the show. He just starts sitting down. Axel Rose won't play. Tells everybody to stop playing until the fans get into it again. Well, it's like, dude, you were three hours late. We were thought we'd be going home by now. Half the people here have to work in the morning. The other half are probably going to be hung over. And you want us to now participate and get into it. And that's the first time you could tell, at least my experience, that Slash and Duff weren't happy with Axel. But so, that was the concert-going experience then compared to now. And if you really want to know what the concert-going experience was like, you really want to talk to the OG heavy metal concert goers. This is what you do, right? Southern California, Los Angeles. West Hollywood. The Sunset Strip. Go to the Rainbow Bar and Grill. They're on Sunset. Walk into Lemmy's Lounge. Have a seat. You'll see the OG ticket goers, the concert goers. They're still in their black leather and lace. Probably 60, 70 years old by now. Reminiscing about the old days of going to concerts and telling their stories. And you can ask them. What was your best show? And they'll tell you. And sometimes it's hardcore. And a lot of them lived in the area. Think about this. You had Gazari's, which is no longer there because of the 94 earthquake. But Gazari's, the godfather of rock. You had the Whiskey A Go-Go. You had all the other clubs there that were playing. The Roxy, that bands and artists would come and play. And they would also go see them at those clubs. There was another, I think, uh, the Coconut Teaser, I think it was, was another place. And then eventually you had the House of Blues, the Key Club, and some other places. But those are the OG concert goers that can tell you all kinds of stories on what they did in their heyday of concert-going experience. But it takes away from it. And so what have other people done? I mean, think about Tom Petty. Tom Petty, he canceled 460 tickets one time to stop scalpers. They were originally set aside for a fan club, but... It got onto the third party, you know, the resale market, and tickets skyrocketed. So he invalidated them and then reopened them to his fan club, and fans fans were able to get them at the reasonable price. I guess you had to have photo ID at pickup and uh, some different things like that. But Tom Petty took steps. Pearl Jam, when their uh, Vitology album came out, they tried to skip venues that were working with Ticketmaster. They would only go to non-Ticketmaster venues. Now, all the major venues are tied in with Ticketmaster. For example, SoFi Stadium. If you're going to perform at SoFi Stadium, you have to sell your tickets on Ticketmaster. That's why the NFL, Ticketmaster. And so they skipped 90% of their venues across the country, did Pearl Jam. And they had to put all that stuff together, find places where they can have their concerts. They had to get chain-link fence, uh you potties know, things like that. They had to plan it out. But 1995, they pulled it off. Rage Against the Machine reunion tour 2020. They decided to sell their premium tickets themselves. Okay, so you got your tickets. But you know what? Fans, we're going to sell these tickets at a premium because we know scalpers are going to get them and jack up the prices. So if you pay more for these tickets here, we'll take this money and we'll give it to charity. And that's what Rage Against the Machine did. They offered premium seating for higher rates that went to local charities. In 48 hours, they raised over $3 million. Now, uh, Taylor Swift, she, like I said, supposedly ending her tour at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles five nights, sold out. It broke the BTS record, which I believe is a K-pop, but uh, BTS for sold-out shows of a uh, 70,000-person venue. So that's what, if you do the math, 350,000 people going to see her in Los Angeles over five nights. I think uh, Staples Center or CryptoCom Stadium or whatever it is now in Los Angeles had a banner. Uh, I think it's still up there that had Taylor Swift, you know, had the NBA championship banners for the Lakers. They had the retired players, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Kobe Bryant, had the LA Kings and their uh, Stanley Cup championships, their banners hanging, and retired players, Wayne Gretzky. And then you have Taylor Swift and her banner for most consecutive sellouts at Staples Center. Congress trying to step in now? Well, we all know they're going to muck that up. Because it's not a right. Think about it. It's not a right to go to a concert. It's a privilege, right? Yeah, it's out of control. Sure, it might be a monopoly, but big tech's a monopoly. They get drawn. You know, Congress says, hey, come talk to us all the time because of censorship because of you know uh canceling people all this stuff and then what happens big tech pays them off and congress people go away so i'm sure that might happen here but again it's like why is congress getting involved five most expensive sporting tickets ever sold you think it's just music chicago cubs cleveland indians 2016 world series the cost, $1.7 million. It was the first game of the World Series. The Cubs hadn't been there in 108 years. Obviously, it says a very select few paid the $1.7 million, But the average ticket price was $2,249 for that World Series game. Let's see the Super Bowl. XLVII, if you know Roman numerals, you could figure that out. Baltimore Ravens, San Francisco 49ers. Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, 2013, $204,000. Game 7 of the NBA Finals in 2010 between the Lakers and the Celtics, $167,000. And then Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, 2017, was that the USF fight or the UFC fight or was that actually a boxing match? Anyways, $157,000. So even the sports world, You can have ticket price markups. Interested in knowing what the uh, highest grossing concerts, concert tours. Okay. Highest grossing concert tours of all time. Coldplay, a Head Full of Dreams tour, $523 million. That was in uh, March of 2016. Through November 2017, 114 shows, 76 cities, 31 countries. Rolling Stones, a bigger bang tour, 558 million. In August of 2005, ended two years later. They had that distinction for a long time until U2 took it over six years later, I guess. Guns N' Roses, not in this lifetime tour. We talked about them, right? So maybe the concert tickets for Guns N' Roses and Metallica were more than what I remember. But here... Not in this lifetime tour, 584 million. Kicked off April 2016, extended through November 2019, and it was the reunion of Axl Rose Slash, and Duff McKagan. 5.4 million tickets sold. Uh, U2, 360 Degrees Tour, 736 million. That was uh, from June 2009 to July 2011. I believe it had Lenny Kravitz, Muse, and Arcade Fire on tour with them. And then Ed Sheeran, $775.6 million. His tour grossed from March 2017, ended August 2019, took him around the world, 246 shows across Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, North America, South America, over 8.5 million tickets sold. So again, a lot of, a lot of money to be made in music. And a lot of the uh, artists making a lot of money off of it, whether it be ticket prices, whether it be merchandise, a lot of money. So is there something that can be done? Would you pay $2,000 to go see a concert? Would you pay $400? Would you pay 300 What's your price limit? Where do you want to sit? Who do you want to see? And you're going to be part of it, or are you going to take a stand? Well, I guess that's up to you. But as, as I think back, I think, wow, a lot of people missing out on the experience. We've changed experience. We've exchanged experience for convenience. Convenience fee. That's the other one. You got the convenience fee of buying your tickets online. And a convenience fee could be upwards of $12 added on to your ticket. So think about that. So last time we were together, we talked about uh, legalization of marijuana. Some states are doing it. Some states aren't. Hasn't been federally recognized as legal yet. And I asked why? What good comes from it? Now, you may or may not remember, but Tobacco used to advertise everywhere. You know, you would see the Marlboro Man everywhere, and um, on billboards, the back of magazines. I don't know if they were on TV, at least in my youth, but you saw them everywhere. You could buy a pack of smokes for real cheap, and then they decided, and it was like cool, right? Back in the the fifties and sixties, everybody in Hollywood smoked. It was like the cool thing to do. James Bond smoked. And so you'd see all this glamour around smoking. And then someone decided that, oh, maybe it's bad for us. Maybe it's going to cause lung cancer. So over the course of years, you started to realize that, yeah, it had some bad health consequences to smoking. They tried to do away with it. I think California has pretty much banned it in everything. I don't even think you can smoke in your own home now. But then there's places where you have designated, like, smoking, right, in some places, but you can't in restaurants, you can't in bars. I think Vegas, you can still smoke in the casinos. In fact, you can because that's how I got away from wearing a mask when I went to Vegas during the pandemic was as long as you had a cigarette in your mouth or a cigarette in hand, they didn't force you to wear a mask, but you had to be sitting at a, uh, at a slot machine. You Couldn't do it at the tables, only the slot machines. So I'd sit there and I'd play slots and I'd have a smoke in my hand and I didn't have to wear my mask. When I didn't have a smoke in my hand, they came and made me wear a mask. But anyways, so... We did away with smoking. It's now really expensive to buy packs of smokes, or at least it was. Um, and it was an effort to try to, to keep people from smoking. Smoking's bad. Lung cancer, stuff like that. Uh, legalizing marijuana. Okay. Headline. Smoking marijuana more harmful to lungs than cigarettes, according to a study out of Ottawa, Canada. Now, it's a recent study that suggests smoking marijuana might cause more harm to the lungs than smoking tobacco. Hmm. So according to this Canadian study, they did CAT scans, or I think it's CT scans. I think those are CAT scans. They did CT examinations that were taken between October 2005 and July 2020 at the Ottawa Hospital and its affiliates, affiliate hospitals to investigate the effects of smoking marijuana on the lungs. Now, the examinations... According to marijuana smokers, they divided them up. So you had marijuana smokers, you had tobacco only smokers, and then you had non smokers. And they did these, they reviewed these uh, CT scans examinations. The study suggests the distinct radiological findings. So the, the distinct finding on the radiology in lungs that may be seen in marijuana smokers, including higher rates of paraceptal emphysema and airway inflammation changes compared to non-smokers or even smokers who only smoke tobacco. There was a higher rate of emphysema. So 42 out of 56 patients examined, 75% had higher rates of emphysema. Non-smokers, there was only about 5% of people that were uh, looked at that had emphysema. And then... um the tobacco ones, they didn't really put in here, but they wanted to demonstrate the uh, difference, against between marijuana smokers, 75%, and non-smokers at 5%. Emphysema, in case you don't know, is a serious lung disease caused by smoking, which is uh, damaging to the lungs that leads to a shortness of breath. Now, emphysema was found to be common among marijuana smokers to the tune of 93% who were 50 or older. So as you got older, your lungs would deteriorate, at a higher rate. Tobacco only smokers, if you're 50 plus and smoke tobacco only, you are 67% likely to have emphysema. And then non uh, tobacco smokers, obviously a lower rate. Research has included tobacco smokers 50 and older who smoked one pack a day for 25 years at a minimum, and for marijuana smokers, They smoked an average of 1.85 grams per day. So if you are into smoking marijuana, I guess you can compare that to a pack of smokes per day, and that was the comparison. Less than half of this group specified the amount they used overall. So I guess, you know, that was kind of the average, 1.85 grams and a pack of smokes a day. The subtype of emphysema, called paraceptal emphysema, affects the outermost part of the lungs. And it was found to be more common among marijuana smokers than tobacco only smokers, regardless of age. So, regardless of age, marijuana smokers are going to be affected by smoking marijuana. The lungs are going to feel it, and they are going to be affected by it. Uh, marijuana smokers compared to non smokers, the rates of airway inflammation, like bronchial thickening, 64% compared to 11%. Uh, Bronchia 23% to 4%. Mucoid impaction, 46% to 2%. So you see smoking marijuana, according to the study. Now, granted, it is a limited study, but a study nonetheless of people that smoked marijuana, smoked tobacco, non-smokers. And you could see non-smokers obviously had the lowest rate of illness. Tobacco only had... A moderate, obviously, uh, we all think tobacco smoking is bad, right? We did away with it. Couldn't advertise anymore. Couldn't appeal to young kids. Had to put it behind now the racks in the, in the convenience stores, behind the cashier. Couldn't have it out front. Under lock and key. A lot of states banned it, like California, but now you're legalizing marijuana. And the effects of smoking marijuana, according to this study, are probably worse than tobacco. Now, the study suggests that they go on and do more studies, that maybe other entities do studies, try to grow the study to a larger pool. But if you're starting out with just a sample in Canada of people smoking, and you're starting to see this trend of illness, lung illness, in this sample, I guarantee you the larger the sample It's not going to be the smaller marijuana smokers are getting ill. It's going to be the other way. The bigger the sample, more people are going to be sick, right? So why again are we trying to legalize marijuana? Why again are we trying to legalize a substance that, according to a study, will make the users have lung illness worse than tobacco smokers, you know, regular cigarettes? And we did away with those and taxed the hell out of them? did everything we can to keep people from smoking. You can no longer smoke on an airplane, can no longer smoke in a restaurant. No no smoking sections went away. But yet here, we're trying to promote something that according to the study, makes you more sick or more susceptible to lung illness. Airway inflammation, like I mentioned, 64% to 11%, that's just inflammation. And it goes on and on. And when you sit there and you look at the study, Every single category, whether it's age, whether it's the type of disease, lung disease, anything they looked at, it found that marijuana users had a significantly more increase in lung disease than tobacco smokers, than non-smokers. Now, there's some areas where people might do both. Well, what if you're smoking both marijuana and cigarettes? What's that going to be like? Well, you could probably deduct with reason and common sense that your lungs are going away pretty quick. But again, so I ask. We talked about it last time, went into it in depth. It's episode 144. You can go back to um, our website, RadioWarp.com. Click on the uh, Two Steps Head podcast logo and look for episode 144. It should be right there at the top. You can listen to it. And you can see that a lot of states are trying to pass legalization. Some have. But if we did away with tobacco and cigarette smoking and did everything we can to make it look not cool and we taxed it and tried to pass laws to keep people from smoking, this is non-smoking only, then why are we passing and trying to legalize marijuana, a substance that, according to this study, has even worse effects on the lungs than tobacco smoking. Again, I ask, what good comes from it? And I guess the answer, if you follow it, follow the trail, would be the money behind it. That's just what it's got to be because obviously the health benefits aren't there. Now, again, we talked about it last time. There may be some health benefits And you go back, again, episode 144, you go back and listen to it and go in depth a little bit more about it. But, yeah, there might be some medical um, purposes in which it, like, kills pain and helps with chronic pain and stuff like that. So I get it. But just the common use of the recreational marijuana. Why are we trying to pass something that is more harmful than cigarettes and we did away with cigarettes? I have to ask you why. Something to ponder about. Elon Musk But Twitter, did you hear? The whole world erupted. Now, all of a sudden, free speech is back. And the liberals are going nuts. All of them threatened to leave Twitter. But they're still there. I'm leaving Twitter. Okay. Go. Bye. Nope, they're back. They're still there. Okay, so everyone thought Elon Musk was a nut for buying Twitter, first he bought it, then he backed out of it, and then they were going to force him to buy it. And then when he did buy it, remember they were going to sue him. They were going to sue him to to go through with the sale for what forty four billion dollars. And then when he did buy it, everybody freaked out. He started bringing back people that were banned, like a former president. He did away with misinformation, fired a bunch of people. Apparently, there is a court in Ireland or the UK that is squabbling over whether or not he could fire some top executive. All this stuff going on, right? But lo and behold. November 27th, 2022, Elon Musk provides some insight into his evolving plan for Twitter. After firing 65% of his workforce, he is now looking to increase employment, looking for more development and engineering talent to help him with his vision. So instead of having people that he is... uh, on payroll, I guess you could say, or whatever he wants to hire people that are going to be for development and engineering instead of people that are going to fact check and people that are going to mark you misinformation and people that are just wasting his money, absorbing his money, not doing work. Right. So, what is this that he wants to do? So, this apparently was his grand scheme for buying Twitter, or at least a part of it. So, first off, he comes out and he says, "Look at here's some charts." The average uh, Twitter user is now spending 31.5 minutes more per day on the app than prior to him buying it. So he's already tweaked some things, did away with misinformation, brought people back, made it freer, and 31 minutes per day more consumption on the app. Okay? New accounts, all-time high since he has taken over. People like this can't be happening. Twitter was supposed to end everything. Well, usage is up. New users are up. Twitter is back to its previous usage levels. I guess as in the beginning. And then, of course, you know, it started losing because of all the stuff that went on. And now it's back up again. Hate speech impressions are lower now. The toxicity score is lower Reported impersonations. People were impersonating other people, like fake accounts, bots, stuff like that. When he first bought it, it spiked, but now he's gotten rid of them. And so it's becoming more of a genuine place. So he's taking care of all this stuff, firing lazy people that aren't doing nothing, hiring engineers, development people, stuff like that. He's restructured it all, getting more uses, uh, more users, and more time per day on it so what does he want to do well the first thing he wants to do is he wants to create an advertising platform he wants to make twitter an all-inclusive thing so he wants that advertising as entertainment he wants to bring back video he's talking about creating a monitor monetization program for creators kind of like some of the other entities but he also wants to make it more attractive financially for people to post their content on Twitter. So that's one thing. He is trying to launch encrypted DMs, direct messages, encrypted, so that you can't be, um, I guess, stolen or hacked, right? So he's trying to make it better. He wants to have long-form tweets, like 2,500 words, not just this, what, 128 characters that started out. He wants to have um, what they call Twitter notes, which is being developed, which allows you to post upwards of 2,500 words. The encrypted DMs, which is becoming standard now, like Instagram, Messenger, um, WhatsApp, You know, all these people are starting to get these encrypted DMs from, uh, so that hackers can stay from hacking, I guess, breaking in. But he's starting to come up with this whole thing. And then payments. If you're a business, let's say you're a business, online business, You can make payments or people can buy stuff from you directly and you're now conducting business via Twitter and the direct payments go from consumer to business owner. So again, Twitter was, before he bought it, it was full of vile, hatred, uh, one-sided, censorship, misinformation, lies. It was an ugly, ugly place. A lot of bots, a lot of... Just, I mean, it was a cesspool of social media, if you want to get down to it. So he has taken a cesspool of social media. He's gotten rid of the fat, cut the fat, wants to now rehire some more people that are going to be in tuned with his focus and his drive, and he wants to recreate Twitter 2.0, allow you to write longer things, allow you to have more video content. Maybe get paid for posting that video content on there. And maybe get paid a little bit better than some of the other sites. He wants to make sure that you can have encrypted DMs or you can message people back and forth and it's not going to get hacked. He wants to make sure that you can elaborate more with long-form tweets. Payments, you're posting your business. Maybe you're selling clothes online. Now you can go to Twitter and there's a direct form of payment between the consumer and you. So if this was his plan all along, it seems like Elon Musk is a lot smarter than what people give him credit for. I mean, here's a guy that looks like if he can pull this off, it looks like he is putting something together that's going to benefit everybody. See, people were focused on free speech only or censorship, depending on which side of the aisle you sat on. That's all anybody cared about was information. Who's lying? Who's not? we got to cover up this information. We've got to fact check that information. we got to censor these people. we got to kick these people off. No, he's opening it up, and he's going to that. He's getting to the point where it's like this is a whole platform for consumers, for people that want to talk back and forth, for people that want to express ideas, get into it deeper, videos. I mean, I don't really use Twitter all that much. I'll post some videos uh, of the show. On Twitter and that's pretty much about it maybe I'll post something here or there but when I look at this this might be something that I might want to engage in a little bit more because he's taken something remember Twitter started out with just 128 characters you type something and you just put your thought out there and then everybody's thought started to hit Twitter and then it went from there and then it became over the last few years this cesspool of all kinds of toxicity that's facts Now he's taking it and he's rearranging it. And it's almost like he's been playing this game with all these liberals because they're the ones outraged by him. I mean, wasn't it that who's the boss girl? What's her name? Alyssa Milano gave back her Tesla for a VW EV and posted it on Twitter because she hates Elon Musk and doing this whole thing. That's what Twitter used to be. A toxic vile place. And now he's turning it around into something that is going to be beneficial well beyond just putting thoughts down and some videos and some polls. He's going to make this whole online presence that might be, I was going to say might rival others, other platforms, but might be better and might be the platform leading content provider. Wouldn't that be something? So the guy that has Tesla amongst other things, Right, the electric vehicle. Smart guy, you know, worth a lot. He did not throw down $44 billion or whatever it was just to smack liberals upside the head and bring back free speech. I think he had this planned all along and he laid it out. And what's happened since he's taken it over? He's cut the fat, usage is up, more users using the platform, people coming back, and now he has a vision. For what it's going to be in the future. And that's what he's trying to drive for. That's what he's striving for. So when you take a look at things. And you step back. And you start taking in. What's happening on Twitter. It makes sense. He actually had a plan. So all the naysayers. He's just put them to rest. Put them to bed. Because he had a plan. And this is something that's going to be able to benefit everybody. Everybody. And the ones that maybe walked away, that don't use it as much anymore, maybe never did, maybe we start using it more. I'm going to definitely look into it and see how it can benefit me connecting with you. Because I just don't post any old thought. I use it mainly show-related stuff, podcast-related stuff. But maybe we can engage a little bit more with it. Definitely something. Maybe I can put some notes out there on the show. Put some things in writing, 2,500 words. Get more engagement, more conversation, more truth out there. So Elon Musk had a plan. And it looks like it's a good plan. And look forward for things to come from Twitter 2.0. This is Two Steps Ahead podcast encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Like we talked about on the show, you look at things. I mean, you look at Taylor Swift and you look at, Ticketmaster. we've given up a lot of things in life and some people don't even realize it you know you're too young to realize the experiences that we had growing up when we did not have the conveniences nor the convenience fees of online of technology we had to go and we had to invest our time our being our person into the ticket buying and concert going experience now we've got convenience we can do it online We take a look at what are the things that we are legalizing in our states and how does that compare to things that we got rid of? Marijuana. Apparently, according to a study, it looks like it has some negative effects on the lungs, maybe other health issues. Worse than tobacco. And we got rid of tobacco. Is that something that we should be looking at here in deciding? Or are there too many people out there now using the product that we can't and we're just going to let it go? Or do we have to go back to what we did and look at smoking in the 50s and 60s was glamorous, popular, but the health benefits, cancer, all this other stuff. Remember, we just went through a pandemic where everyone was forcing to get vaccinated so they could be healthy. We're talking about health, right? Is marijuana really healthy? Do we need to go back and look at only the medicinal benefits and focus on that and take away the recreational? Something to look at. And then what about the platforms that we use for social media. I mean, we always talk about raise the standard, bring out your inner greatness, inspire and motivate others. Looks like Elon Musk is doing that with Twitter 2.0. Looks like he is raising the standard of the platform, providing more opportunity for people to engage and to use it. It's inspiring others to get back on there and maybe use it for a greater good. We'll see. But those are the type of things as we look forward to the future that we need to be discussing, how can we make lives better for ourselves, for communities, for our neighborhoods? Maybe legalizing marijuana isn't the best thing to do because of the health. Maybe having other people. Maybe we need to take, take a look at other big tech platforms, see about what we can do to change them. There was a 60 Minutes, I don't watch 60 Minutes, but there was 60 Minutes not too long ago that had a thing on big tech. And I think his name is Tristan or Tristan. He was a part of the early parts of uh, social media. He was on there. And again, he was a part of establishing social media. I think Facebook, he's not on it anymore. He talks about the dangers of it. These are some of the things that we have to look at as we move forward. Hey, check us out on our website, RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P. Click the uh, Two Steps Head podcast link. The show page comes up. It's got our shows, SoundCloud, YouTube, Rumble. You can uh, subscribe. To those accounts and never miss an episode. You can um listen wherever you listen to podcasts, uh Pandora, Spotify, iHeartMedia. Um, you can just internet search us, TWO Two Steps Ahead We Pop Up, Instagram, TWO Two Steps Ahead Podcast, or just say hey girl uh hey Google, hey Suri, hey Alexa, play TWO Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we pop up. Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, take your passion, make it happen. Let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and this is Two Steps Ahead Podcast.